This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Um, it's Caroline Keep, and this morning we're going to be having Jeremy Bellas or Jez um, talking well-being with us. So get in touch, give us a chat, have a talk with this us. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So good morning, everybody. Like morning, Sunday morning, isn't it? During half term, it's one of them, isn't it? It takes a while to kind of wake up. Um, I'm hoping I've got Jess with me. Jess, are you there? Hi, Caroline. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you beautifully. Oh, we're going to have a great chat this morning. So we're talking well-being. And I just thought I'd give everybody a bit of a rundown, Jez, before we get into it. Um, Jeremy Bellas. Do I say that right? Yeah, it's Bellas. It's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? Bellas. It's as bad as my... My my original name was Christy Anson. Mouthful and a half. You can see why I changed it to keep. Um, (laughs) Bellas. Over 15 years of leadership experience in the educated sector, from tutoring to pastoral to PE, director of sport. He's he's been everything. And um, he's got... A daily insights for the past decades cemented his belief in a better education comes from happier children and teachers. You now work full time with UHQ to change the way that schools are doing well-being. And just to give a bit of a chat before we start to get into it, Jess, I just wanted to give a bit of context, guys, for well-being. So first up, um, the NHS did a report in 2020 that drew on about 3,570 children. Here's some of the lovely highlights for you. It's a draw a deep breath for this. Um, among primary school children ages 5 to 10, 14.4% had a probable mental health disorder in 2020, an increase from 94 in 2007. Among secondary school aged children 11 to 16, 17.6 were identified with a probable mental disorder in 2020. It's an increase from 12% in 2007. Around 62.6% of children aged 5 to 16 um, with a probable mental health disorder had regular support from their school or college. And secondary school aged girls, 11 to 16, uh, 63.8 have identified with a probable mental health disorder in 2020 or have seen or heard arguments among adults in their household. Um, So it's a massive problem, isn't it, really? It's just like, yeah. what do you say to those stats? It's like, thing, oh. Yeah. It's, a, it's a real problem. And from all those stats and what we've identified, really, is that, that children are most at risk of, of problems with their well-being and mental health. And I think the other key thing is that they don't really know often where to go or what to do. Mm. Um, and, and that is a real issue. And I think, obviously, the last few years hasn't helped at all. And the stats aren't looking great. No, no. I mean, they're not, they're not looking great among kids, but um, me and really school just recently just looked into it a bit more with adults. And um, I looked up at the the uh, education support did a survey as well. And even among teachers, you know, 77 percent experiencing poor mental health, 46 percent are going into work on well, 61 um, percent feel like they're not getting enough guidance on it. Mm. And there was an interesting tweet this morning I put out. 
um, that was um, from a mental health professional saying that, you know, we're not always accurately trained in this. So you don't know whether you're always actually, you know, helping or, or making the situation worse. Um, you know, and I was interested in you, you, you know, UHQ, you've got a, a clinical NHS doctor on board, which is, you know, absolutely fantastic because it's, it's, you know, you want to be able to get the, the best uh, well-being and mental health advice you can and the best training you can. You know, why is it such a talking point of school at the moment? Why have we got so much out there? I mean, bar from these, you know, obvi people obviously desperately trying to get some decent advice. But do you always feel like it's, you know, well-structured, great advice? Well, I think the first point, that you, the question that you've asked, why is it out there so much? I do think so much of it has stemmed from, from what's happened over the last two to three years. I think mm. that teachers and students... Um, a former teacher myself I think everyone found that that two-year period in lockdown really, really tough and, <laughs> and obviously and we've come out the other side and everyone you know that's where we're all picking up the pieces and, and moving forward but there's definitely still a lasting effect on the mental health of everyone and obviously from our point of view um, teachers students everyone involved in schools that that for me it was a re I was I really noticed it I really noticed how how much people were struggling and it's such a complicated issue and it's mm. so unique to the individual that it's a really difficult um, problem for schools to tackle. Really difficult. I think it's. Um, I think the other thing is with schools, and in my experience, you know, I, like, as you said at the start, I was yeah. a PE teacher for 15, 16 years. Yeah, you got I, your teaching stripes, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. PE, PE teachers often, not always, often bounce around, become partial leaders. So I was um, mm. assistant head of year, and then in the state sector, and then moved across to private, became the job title in lots of private schools. If you move up the ranks in peers, director of sport. Yeah. And then interestingly for me, my job title, I actually changed my job title to, to director of sport, PE and wellness in the last sort of two to three years. Because yeah. what I realised as a PE professional was that we're, we're really well placed generally hmm. to look at the links between physical and mental health. And I think that's been a real shift as well. I think there's been a real shift for, for PE teachers um, in that area they're really looking at ways that they can best support the mental mm. health of students through physical activity and exercise um, yeah so I think you know the other thing is that um, you were saying training I think yeah, yeah teachers now I think that we talk you mentioned our um, one of our directors at UHQ we call him Dr Bear we call him Dr yeah. Bear because he's a he's a big burly ex-rugby player so yeah. we're friends from uni and his nickname was just bear because we just he thought he looked like a big bear so we call him dr bear now yeah. but he's he's brilliant and um and one of the things we talked about in schools i think teachers more and more and i'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on this mm. have become more carers they've had to really pick up that that mantle of caring for the students post covid post war in ukraine all this stuff and the yeah. other thing you know that we'll, i'm sure we'll touch on is, is social media now mm. as teacher teachers now have to pick up the pieces of all those things and all those extra pressures that come through on kids and, and a lot of it does come through online on social media so teachers now are not only having to teach their subjects in secondary schools mm. um, and, and primary but they're also having to quickly learn about at least the fundamentals of well-being and mental health which is which is really difficult so i think that's that's a problem i think that um my personal opinion give us your thoughts if you're listening in or tap us at any point today if you're on listen back and tell us what you think 
Um, you know, I've been part of the Federation for Education Inclusion feedback, and I said, you know, CAMS is 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 not fit for purpose. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, you know, at the moment, teaching and as fat feels very much you know i was at the chalk face these last two years i only stopped just recently um and even then i've still ended up in schools uh, i feel like it's the last bastion for for everything at the moment it's you know the the place that you go into for mental health support the place you go into while you're on a you know an eight to 12 month waiting list the place you go into for food the place you go into for psychological help the place you go for, for everything we are picking up more and more and more and especially as um, things like the NHS come under pressure due to COVID, you know, and and, and vital services are buckling. Um, they buckled during COVID and the, the buckling, you know, in the aftermath of that. And I think it, it does put a lot of pressure on teachers to have a, you know, a solid understanding of this because it's it's one of those areas that you, you really don't want to get wrong. You know, you, you want to be able to support your young people as best you can with their well-being and mental health. And uh, I think to do that, you pr you know, you definitely need, you know, proper, you know, guidance from trained professionals who have the qualifications to back them up. You know, you, you can't just well-being is not a poster. You know mm. what I mean? And I think no. we see a lot of that. I don't know whether you've seen loads of it. It's like, oh, well, we'll, we'll do half afternoon where we'll do yoga and that'll work. It'll work. <laughs> Yeah, I think like, it's. Oh. I think schools schools are trying, aren't they? And you know, yeah. something like yoga again with my PE background, that's great. But yeah. I think really what this comes down to is the great teachers. Always, this has always been the case. The great teachers are the ones that take the time yeah. to really get to know the student, really get to know yeah. the student, and, and that you know whether you're a tutor. Um, you're a science teacher, you're a head of year, senior leadership, it doesn't matter who you are. If you give that student time, that's what they remember. And mm. students that are struggling mentally mm. need someone to talk to. And if it, what we always say at UHQ, and this is where Dr. Bear is so good, and you know, we, we've started creating some resources, we do little podcasts and mm. write blogs. Really, teachers just need to use their kind of human instinct a lot of the time. Mm. And obviously follow the guidelines from keeping children safe in education and all that kind of stuff, because obviously nothing can, can be kept secret. No. But if they can take the time to sit down and list, just listen to a student, make eye contact and and um, do their best to show empathy with that student, which is really difficult, then that is really, from a student perspective, in my experience and from the work that I do, that is really, really what they need. And I think the problem that teachers have now they're just so stretched and you know I was feeling it so I, mm. I stopped teaching at the end of the spring term this year so I've only been mm. out of out of education really for a couple of for two to three Are months. You, you feeling the same as me where it seems really weird? Well yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, so strange isn't it? It's like well, I've ended up I've ended up back in and out of schools um, and you know and to be honest it's I'm supposed to be doing my PhD but realistically, I do feel like, you know, it's a little, it gives me a little more room to do some of the important work that I wanted to do um, because there just isn't room in a school day, not when you're leading. Um, so, you know, sometimes taking a bit of a step back is that gave you more room to kind of develop this, you know, into the thing that you wanted it to be. Yeah, well, definitely. I think what I did. Uh, so I'm I'm a dad. Um, I, what I found, I we adopted our two kids about mm. nine years ago. And that was my real, I think for me, that was my real shift in thinking about who I was as a teacher. I mm. think when you become a parent, uh, when you become a parent, 
you start then that's when I really started thinking more about individual students and their own well-being yeah. and how they were because you know when anyone out there that knows anything about adoption um what I've had to learn as a parent is nurture is really important I've had to learn a lot about trauma and the impact mm. of trauma and one of the things that my, my, my own personal journeys made me think about is um kids that are adopted have gone mm. through a real trauma well every child now through covid and everything that's going on in the world have they've all gone through some kind of traumatic experience mm. so the effects of that traumatic experience are potentially quite long lasting and, and you know quite big so for me i started off when i was t- and I, you know i always loved teaching i was always passionate about sport and pe i got to a point mm. where like you just said i needed to try and eke out a bit more time for myself so i actually went four mm. days a week yeah. which um you know my school couldn't believe it they were like, why would you why would you want to do that but it was personal and it just gave me that like you just said caroline that bit of just space. that room just that yeah. room to think really and, and you know i wasn't and then from there myself and the other directors of uhq we started coming up with this idea and the concept and and it's still it's sort of built from there really um yeah I, I did similarly i went to three i went to four days then three days then one day for the last <laughs> year. one day and it was like only because they were trying to find somebody to replace me which they were struggling with and it was like and during covid it just didn't feel like that was the moment to step back you know so it was like and even then as i said quite often i'm i'm still i still go out and do loads in schools anyway so I don't feel like I've really gone anywhere, but I do feel like sometimes to develop some of the things that you want to, you know, we do, I, I wonder whether as teachers, we do demonize whether you leave the classroom or not, don't mm. we? You know, like, oh, if you've left, then therefore that's it. When actually I think we should really normalize moving to, you know, a few days a week or part-time or cover or taking a step back or coming back in. You know, um, I pitched in in December again, you know, more more full time to cover during the period that was, you know, where we had no teachers. I think, um, you know, having a bit of flexibility, it probably help because I want to just mention our, you know, our teachers. I said earlier on, you know, 61 percent, according to the educational support, uh, our uh, assessment um, in 2021 and not getting enough guidance on this you know f- 46% going into work on well you know mm. that's not that's not great you know and and for anxiety is the the highest one 44% mm. of them reporting anxiety you know what can teachers do to improve their mental health because it's quite hard to be helping somebody else if you, your own mental health isn't you know on track and you know that's that's the challenge we face isn't it that we've Definitely. not got teachers who are in the position that they should be you know and students all in the same building you know and I know we're desperately always trying to support our students but but how do you do that when you're not in the right place? I think it's it's been an interesting journey for me because um, having not been a teacher for the last few months I've been able to have some real perspective on how hard teachers really work Oh, and and I know the perception of teachers is well you get your six weeks off you get your two weeks off what I found, uh, and one of the issues I think there is with teaching, mm. is you are all in when you're in term time. You are literally, mm. the button is on, you turn on, and then you try and switch off in the holidays because you need that time to recharge. And what I started finding, I started finding it really difficult to switch that button back on again after mm. the holidays. And that's when I started realising that maybe I needed a change. I think mm. teachers, not all, but again, this is going to be a generalisation. I don't think teachers are necessarily that great at self-care. I think... They think, well, I'm going to give my 
all to this because I've you know I've had my holiday. I'm going to go in. I'm going to you know teachers will be thinking now we're getting to the back end of August. They'll be going back in in September, and they'll be thinking I'm, I need to I need to really push my I need to work hard. I need to do the best mm. I can for the students. And it's really hard. It's really taxing on on your mm. physical and mental health. So I think to answer that question, I think teachers need to be kind to themselves. And myself and Dr. Bear did a, a short podcast recently. It's not glamorous, but I think it is simple rules and things you can control so what can you really control you can control or you can try and control email I mean for me email was a huge became a huge problem as a teacher when Mm. I first started teaching back whenever it was 2006 I think was my Mm. first year as a teacher there was there wasn't really email I mean there what it existed but you know it wasn't Mm. really a line of communication And, and when I finished an independent secondary school in Berkshire the number of emails every day from, from yeah. all angles. I mean, that for me personally was one of my biggest stresses was email. So I think, mm. you know, teachers now need to, they need to know how and when to switch off, whether that's, you know, not looking at emails after eight o'clock in the evening. That was always a big one for me. If I read mm. that email from that parent making a complaint, mm. at, you know, 10 o'clock at night, I couldn't sleep. So yeah. you know, those sorts of things I think are really important. The amount of sleep you get, you know your exercise your your diet you have to try and look after yourself and i'm not saying you know you need to be exercising five six seven days a week but mm. teachers do need to think about the ways that they can look after their own physical and mental health by controlling the things they can control i mean i didn't realize until you know i stopped you know and at first i, I stopped and delayed my phd start because even though it's in education because i just needed a few months off and it sounds really ridiculous, but I just didn't realize how physically it takes it out of you teaching. You know, and I, as many on here all know, I'm a, an autistic ADHD teacher, so even more so. But I, I feel like you just you don't realize how physical teaching is on your body until suddenly you stop and then you just kind of and we all feel it when we we take a break in the summer you know and your entire body collapses into a heap for the first week and then you think you know or you get ill you know and then you collapse into a heap and then about the middle of the summer you feel all right and then you're geared up to go back in but you know that continuous kind of you know intensive process you know it is an intensive profession you know to do you've got to be in really good physical health to do it i think um and uh, you know from those stats i feel like you're right we're not we're not very good at taking care of ourselves probably because naturally we're much more interested in trying to take care of other people aren't we definitely you know your priority is the kids in front of you you know um i i think nothing of kind of like oh i'll just skip lunch because this kid needs me or i'll just not do that because this kid needs me but you know do that enough times and you realise that I can't remember when I ate, you know? <laughs> yeah. And because of that shift in climate we've talked about, because there are such a huge range of potential well-being, mental health issues, pastoral issues yeah. now. And, you know, you can't miss a beat as a teacher now, can you? You have to be on yeah. top of these things. And, you know, potentially there's a little bit of that blame culture. You know, you don't want to be in that position where someone can come back to you and say, well, why didn't you do something about that? You knew about that. That's definitely, you know, teachers that have been teaching for a few decades will know that there's definitely been a huge shift across. And because there's so much, um, there's so many products, there's digital technology out there for everything Mm. that that you really, there's almost no excuse to miss something. So there's Mm. pressure, there's real pressure on teachers, not only from the academic standpoint uh, mm-hmm. and again that's something you know i'd like to get into with you later there's always mm-hmm. been that pressure but now you've got that added pressure of all these new 
things that you know for our for our generation would look back wouldn't we and we'll go well we never you know we never had that we never had social media to worry about we never had all these new mental health issues to worry about and one of the things that you know that was really coming through when I stopped in my role as director of sport was was things like um all the gender issues and identity Mm. and uh, you know um, trans non-binary gender fluid you know for me as a PE teacher we were having to make new changing rooms for kids just the logistics of for students who where could they change what sports could they play it was you know there's there's a there's a lot of um problems to solve i think in schools um right now and i think that's really really difficult i think there's a lot of change going on you know you touched briefly on there before before we get into to some other questions i think i've got um about you know social media let's talk about the big bad that is social media you know i'm a i'm a i'm avidly you know passionate digital teacher who hates phones in schools mm. <laughs> you know that sells you everything you know i, I like digital tech but uh, you know certain digital tech and phones in schools is a big i like i love it um you know we you, you're having to you know a few things with that one it's made it very difficult between students you bring in you know problems from all over the place into school left right and center and um, but two it has made you know teachers more accessible as you said that culture change and um, to parents you know parents feel like especially i think post-covid you know where they had much more access to teachers around irregular hours i feel like now the the mood has changed where they feel like you know a teacher should be available you know 24 hours a day seven days a week for this particular thing um do you feel like that's got worse or better you know what do you feel like social media has the impact on our schools i mean social media has a hugely negative impact (laughs) i mean you can you there's no way around it is there you know you're giving you are giving students something so powerful and so dangerous that you really can't control. I think it's so difficult for parents as well. I think mm. my boys are nine and 10. Um, mm. So far, I've managed to totally keep them away from from all of that. We know, my wife and I, she's also a teacher, primary school mm. teacher. We, we know that it's coming. We know that there's going to be a, you know, a time where we have to let them let them loose. Mm. I think what schools try so hard, don't they, to educate mm. students on the safety of online social media but i think one of the problems i found as a 40 year old bloke was i'm rubbish on it really and these kids are so good on it aren't they and they know they know what to do but the problem is they're gonna make like we all made as kids you make mistakes socially if Mm. you're making all these mistakes online it's just so dangerous and you know one of the things that we with UHQ, what we're, we're trying, I mean, there's a sense of irony, really, because it's a pla- it's an app, it's, you know, it's screen. Mm-hmm. And some schools that we work with, there are teachers that say, look, we don't want them on a screen to improve their, their well-being and mental health. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get away from external validation. Do you like me? Do you like my story? How many friends have I got? To mm-hmm. real introspective self-reflection. That's what ours mm-hmm. is about. No, no other kids can see what they're doing. Only the teacher, their tutor normally in the head of the year can really see yeah their mood and their well-being and the things they're putting on there so yeah it's it's really difficult isn't it it's really dangerous i think i think you have to embrace technology right we have to embrace mm. it we've all had to embrace it you know covid yeah at my school without without um the technology that we had available there was no way we could have done it so it's there it's useful i just think that you know we have to be really it's all about awareness of the negatives and the positives of it isn't it and i think i think you need to be um 
a lot of the work I'm doing is on, you know, judgment of what's effective use of technology. It's yeah. The key isn't, you know, ban everything. The key is what works, you know, and what works really effectively and what's, you know, going to improve the situation. You, you say you've got, I've got a teen, teen is probably upstairs, half asleep, not having, you know, anything to do with this morning because she's in the holidays, <laughs> you know, and um, uh, Aurora. I can't, I can't wait for that time, Caroline. I can't wait oh, for the time we'll have well, to roll them out of bed. You see this is like, oh, yeah, when they're young, they're all like, oh, my God. God, we're getting up and you're like oh god no and then when they're a teen you can't get them out it's you know it's one or the other really isn't it but you know what what got me is we shifted uh, we moved my daughter over to a dad in iceland for for the duration of the last four years um because she was over there just before she went from year eight year nine and she was supposed to come back for year 10 or 11 but covid hit so i kept her kept her over in Iceland and one of the reasons I did shift is because they have a very different attitude over there so they have a completely different kind of setup a lot of I think our social media is built in the culture of Britain for social media and you said you know as adults we're not much better are we you know what I mean whilst over there it's it's kind of um how do I describe it it's deemed not cool and inappropriate to put your whole life on social media they think right. it's a very uncool thing to do you know, you don't put your whole life on social media because that's mm. just not very cool. So kids use it really, really less. You know, they don't really have that kind of social media thing. I think I use social media more than my daughter. My daughter thinks I'm very uncool for using it quite as much as I do. <laughs> but obviously now she's come back to Britain, she's come back here. We've got the college years now. I think, you know, when she starts, I'm wondering whether I'm going to see that change and suddenly everything is going on social media, you know, whether that'll rub off. Because at the moment, she thinks it's like, no, you wouldn't put everything on, you know, TikTok or, you know, Insta, because mum, that's totally not cool. You don't want to be that person. But they have a very kind of, you know, a billboard is what I call it. You know, if you're putting it online, it's on a billboard kind of mm. teaching, you know, everything is forever on the internet. And that's true. Everything is forever on the internet. You know, if you, you, I think we don't kind of put that across quite enough sometimes. You know, yeah. and I, I dread to think what it'd be like if I was like 14, 15 and I'd have social media. It would have been a nightmare. <laughs> Just... Absolutely. Oh, I, you know, I'm still, like you said, I'm still not great on it now. But yeah, you've no. got to think, you think, but that's, I think that's a really good process for us as teachers. You have to try and that, and that is, that's the attempt to empathy, isn't it? And I think that word yeah. always comes up for me. If you can think back to being 14, 15, if you oh. were given that power, you know, you had a, mo you know, I didn't even, we didn't have mobiles, did we? But you were given no. a smartphone with all, and I just think it's, it's the information. They are over, we're all overloaded with it. Those yeah. young brains are overloaded with information. It's coming at them, just like we said with email. They've got it coming at them on WhatsApp, Snapchat, you know instagram everywhere they've got stuff coming in at them mm. um not all positive right you know and again from um from from the kind of pe background again you think about all that stuff that all the those bodies that are on there that they mm. they think they are supposed to look like that and they you know often totally unrealistic it's yeah it's it adds is so much added pressure on them isn't it and it's unnecessary interesting um hearing you say iceland yeah. and culture because it just made me think a lot. I think a lot of social media for, for adults and for children is following the pack. So as soon as yeah. everyone starts going on Instagram, I remember I didn't have an Instagram account. And then all my mates or everyone that I knew were, were coming across to Instagram from Facebook. And then, you know, you felt you feel like you've got to keep up with everyone, don't you? So if you're not yeah. keeping up, then you move across. And 
you you've got to be pretty courageous to buck the trend haven't you but those people yeah. that now aren't on social media you know fair play you know and i think I'm, i i agree with you i don't think it's necessarily right to say don't be on it but again i think it's going back to what we we're saying about trying to set yourself some parameters about how much you're on it and how positive it is for you to be on it and that self-awareness of whether it's is it is it something that's benefiting your life or is it something that's detracting from the person you want to be in and the targets yeah. and the goals you're setting yourself and again that you know that's something that we're really hot on with the work that we do we're all about but your core values your goals your ambitions yeah it's setting those um boundaries isn't it you know working definitely. out what your boundaries are and working out where they should be and where they shouldn't be what's going to impact on your life i mean you know my daughter tells me off all the time she's like oh your twitter's too big mom you know it's too big it's too noisy it makes too much she's too much on it and it's like oh god i'm getting told off by like a you know a 16 year old do you listen to her do you go do you know okay, what she you... put on a well-being timer on my phone and was <laughs> like you know mum you really have to you know get that down to like um, you know two hours a day more than that is too much mum and i'm like she, all right she fine. sounds your daughter sounds pretty smart to me oh yeah yeah but keep in mind she has been on a rock in the middle of nowhere for the last three years so <laughs> maybe that's know, what maybe like, that's what we all need maybe we yeah, all need to rock in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. i think to be honest i think it I think to some extent, you know, I did pull a blinder there, but, you know, one of the reasons I did it is I just felt like, you know, Britain was really overwhelming for young people. Mm. You know, it was just so intense, so intense GCSEs, so intense social situations, it's bombardment, it was, you know, things to do continuously, you know, it was, you know, go this club, do this thing, do that, it was just, and I, I remember, you know, but I'll probably sound really old now before we get into the news, but, you know, I remember being younger and not, you remember just going out on your bike, you know what I mean? And not having like it just going out for a bit, you know, where you could just go out and just go out on your bike for like hours and hours on end. And you'd come back at like 4pm and nobody would be like, where have you been? You know, I know that sounds really ridiculous because I was born in the 80s, guys. So nobody cared about us with large dockers. (laughs) But effectively, you could do that back then. You know, and I realised that, you know, I'm not sure I could do that with my daughter. Because I'm not sure how I'd feel or whether I'd feel it was too intense or whether I'd feel it more dangerous or whether it, she'd have the same options as that. And over there, they took them out no matter what the weather because there's hardly any crime. So mm. I thought I'll give her that option to just experience, you know, a, a little bit more, I don't know, a bit more freedom. Because um, I feel like we do we do regulate kids, don't we, a lot of the time recently, you know, what they do, where they go. You know, I feel like kids' schedules these days have got more, you know, scheduled, really. You know, very rarely the kind of, unless they're in the house doing not much, it's, you know, we've got to take you out of this time, we've got to do this this time. You know, and I do wonder how much pressure that has on them, you know, alongside that GCSEs, because these numbers are not great, especially among secondary school girls. You know, 83 68.63.8% with a probable mental health disorder between 11 to 16. Why do you think girls are feeling this pressure? Yeah. What is it? It's a really, I mean, it, I'm obviously not a girl. So, mm. I, you know, it's, it's um, and it, we talk about this a lot. I think generally speaking, girls think a lot. They think a lot about things they've done in the past, what they're going to do in the future. They tend not always, but they tend to be overthinkers or can be. And I think when you're an overthinker, then 
you can you can start to worry you can start to get anxious you can yeah. you, you start you start spiraling you start going yeah. into that cycle of um of worry and 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 anxiousness and and i think not always but i think sometimes boys they they, they tend to not do that as much mm. um that so again generalizing massively but i think often that is where there is a, a, an issue for girls i think there's a lot of other things there as well you know you look at the the cultural differences and things that girls are mm. seeing on social media and the additional pressures on them it's, it's so much more difficult isn't it i think mm. you know let's for example let's go to um the euros yeah okay so amazing all right these these women amazing women go out and win the euros well mm. there's it, instantly there's yeah okay there's lots of positive but then there's still stigma isn't there there's still there's still negativity around girls playing football should girls play football i think it's so yeah. difficult for girls to get get it right you know in the eyes of people because there's still that inconsistency in messaging for them and it's, mm. it's, it's still a very dynamic thing what what should girls do or shouldn't girls do or what age should they do this for boys it's just it's just easier i mean I, I, i'm not saying it's easy at all i'm not saying it's easy but as a boy myself um father of two boys i think it's it's just different for them and the information that's coming at them and the things that the stigma around certain things that they should or shouldn't be doing is different. So I think that's part of, I think that's part of it, but I wouldn't want to proclaim that I'm an expert in it because obviously, like I said, I'm not, um, I'm not a girl. Um, mm. I, I think that's part of the problem. Um, I've done a bit of work with the GEC on this, you know, and it's, um, yeah, I think the girls have mixed messages. There's a lot of, you know, mixed stereotypes that are in there that, that prove counterproductive, as you said, you know, oh, the wonderful women who are playing sport, they face endless prejudice whilst trying to do football. You know, so it's like, yeah, and I think I tweeted on the day, I never want to hear anybody tell me that girls' football isn't popular ever again. You know, <laughs> and that's it. You don't get to say that anymore. Because I've heard that in schools, you know, why don't we have a girls' football team? You know, luckily enough, not in my last. Um, it's not popular, so we don't run it. And it's like, you know, but it would be popular maybe if you did run it, you know, and it's, it's, it is, it's like, you know, you just, it's very hard to get it right. But then again, I think it's very hard to get it right as a grown woman, let alone a teenager. So, yeah. you know, I think there is that kind of pressure. Um, we're going to go to the news, but um, if you've got any, you know, thoughts to say, you know, what do you feel on well-being? You know, do you feel like we're getting it right? And what effects do you feel like social media has got on our kids? Um, tweet us up or let us know or drop it in your messages and, and we'll get back to you soon. Um, I'll be back in a sec. Jess, here's the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
Hello! This week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection. Which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So, what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an Ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver in human language your hub then there are walls furniture other devices basically anything that gets in the way so the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket. They are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders, allowing you to create a better Wi-Fi coverage in dark spots in your home. At around £30 to £50, it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home. Meshing is the next solution to improve coverage. More recently, homes have been adopting the mesh system. Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option, but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at CT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Okay, we're back. So um, I'm just going to just double check. We've got Jez back with us. Um, Jez, are you there? Oh, Jez, can you hear me? Are you there? We might have a we might have a slight issue, Jess. So we'll just wait and see if you connect. I've just muted you. If not, can you go back out and come back in? We'll soon grab you if you don't get connected in the next few minutes. So what are we looking at here? We're looking at you know well-being, and um, I did give some of the stats briefly earlier on, and we're talking about well-being and mental health. Um, so I'll just try and get uh, Jess back on. Jess, are you there? No, sounds as if you've you've you, you've unconnected. So, oh, yes, we'll get you back in and see whether we can get you back in and on. Um, so let's give you some stats for this. 
as I said, I was talking about, let's talk about teachers. You know, I talked earlier about the education support um, um, and uh, awareness of mental wellbeing report from Ed Support. Um, Sixty-one percent of teachers not getting enough guidance on on mental health and wellbeing. Sixty-nine point eight have considered leaving due to you know um, marked impact on personal relationships. Um, really, school last recently um, at two thousand nine hundred and thirty-seven teachers whether the the teaching had impacted their personal relationship, and eighty point six percent said they had. You know, as teaching impacted your personal relationship, if it has, get in touch. Let's have a chat about it. Um, I, I don't know whether we've got Jess still there or are we still having issues, technical difficulties, Jess? Um, yeah, I think we maybe are. You might want to come, go back out and come back in and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, but yeah, has it impacted you? I think sometimes it does, doesn't it? I think you've not got enough time. How are you supposed to, you know, um, are you supposed to have the time to be able to deal with a personal relationship and you know actually you know um deal with your own relationships you know how are you supposed to to do that and and cover it you know i'm not sure whether we've got the time to actually you know have a uh you know a full blown normal relationship and teach and i'm not sure we've got the time to teach and look after ourselves let alone our else um so just let us know what do you think do you think that it takes a strain on you do you think it's you know it's a it's a hard one you know to be able to do do you think you've got too much time you know um spent dealing with other people's issues to take care of your own mental health well-being not a, not a great option but you know how do we manage to keep that balance because if you know 60 9.8 percent have considered leaving due to an impacted negative relationship then maybe we need to consider how we could do that better um let's see if we've got jess back jess are you there i might i might i might have had a blinding issue here where we've lost jess you know <laughs> it's like it's typical isn't it we did really well jess right in the beginning and now it seems that we're having an issue getting you on so um i've, I've got you here but whether i've got you connected is a different thing entirely so um let's just see uh, uh if i can get you get you in and see uh jesse there no yes maybe no i think you you have to come back in so I think that this is is a bigger problem. I think it's a bigger problem between teachers' well-being itself. I think it's a it's a quite a massive problem as well for young people's well-being. But as I said, we've seen a tweet earlier on today that was quite um, problematic. Oh, I think we might have Jess now. Jess, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Hey, hey yes. we're back. Success. We Honestly, it, it takes about a while to do it. Um, <laughs> I was just saying, thank you. Um, I was just saying then. I think it's. You know, it's a big problem this is with, with teachers' well-being and how to do this balancing act. I mean, how do you do it? You know, how do you do the balancing act between your own well-being and your, your students' well-being? Yeah, um, so I mean, how, how are we supposed to do that? I mean, it's... I'm well, not sure I know. I, going back to what we were saying before, I personally took took um, made the big decision to go four days. And we, we were mm. saying time. I, I, you know, one of the things that's come up with teachers that I speak to all the all the time it is time isn't it if can you mm. 
if you can give teachers some time, um, and one of the things I played around with a bit towards the back end of my teaching career as a director of sport, I tried um, almost as a reward, not always as a reward, but tried to yeah. give some of my PE teacher team time. So if I took one of their lessons, if they were struggling, for example, they came yeah. in, they weren't, they weren't great. Can I take, I'll take your year nines now. That, mm. that goes such a long way. I think senior leadership teams potentially have a real opportunity in this area. I was speaking mm. to a brilliant um, wellbeing expert, ex-head, mm. uh, recently. And one of the things he did, which was really bold and really different, he gave teachers um, a wellbeing day once a term. So yeah. he was saying they just had to give 24 hours notice and no questions asked. And it was for, it was a mental health wellbeing day. If you needed a day, let mm. senior leadership know and they'd get your lessons covered. One day a term. I just thought that was great because I think teachers, if they just have, if there's intent from leadership teams to support the well-being of the teachers, just intent, really, that's mm. all it is. And I think often they don't get that because, again, going back to what we said at the, at the beginning of the show, there's a perception that teachers get their time off in the holidays, so they should be re recharged and ready to rumble when they come back but they're not you know they're not though and they're not are they and, and that's no. not the way human beings work you don't just get six weeks off and you feel great often that's six weeks that might not be a teacher re recharging for me no. with my kids and the difficulties the specific difficulties they had often I'd come back more tired because mm. you know I was having to really cope with a lot of the things that were going on at home so this is I think is and again it, some people they if if they are lucky enough and or they are they've they are they have a personal life which allows them to rejuvenate and recharge their mm. batteries that's okay but not all teachers have that teachers no. have personal issues they'll have might have health issues they're not coming back in not every teacher's coming back in september feeling 100 percent and ready to roll and it's important that yeah. leadership know that and to be honest i mean you know i think we don't offer not as much as we kind of don't get you know, we don't have enough support for young people. I think we don't have enough support for teachers. You know, the, the stats come out, you know, whether you, yeah, schools don't like to get, I don't think, involved in the personal relationships of teachers, you know, and I've seen it, you know, where you, you know, um, you have difficulties or your personal life. You know, my husband had a, a heart attack in some of the first years of my teaching, you know, and it was back in school after two weeks, mm. you know, it's like, you know, and I look back now and go, that was mental. Why did I do that? But I realised afterwards, like I was in, I was just in shock, and people were like, "Well, we have to have somebody teach physics." And it was like, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, there's nobody to teach physics. You'll have to prioritise it. And it's like, wow, this is mad. This is absolutely mad. And you know, now and I, I know a lot better, but I was I was much younger. And I think afterwards, like you know, you just there's a lot of pressure. You know, we've all felt that pressure to go in when we're nobody's well you know sometimes you go in even when you're not well because it's just easier than actually dealing with the hassle of actually covering everything and doing everything but that compounds I think over time and then before you know it you get to the end of those holidays you know you've not seen your doctor you've not had a break you've not gone to the dentist you've not seen the things that you need to do or spent any time on yourself and you just your body just collapses mm. you know and I think that is more common than we'd like to admit you know we we grind ourselves out in those six weeks and then just collapse for, you know, two weeks and then grind for another six weeks. And I, I think to some extent that's just burning out our teachers, which a lot of the stats to say about teacher retention would agree with me, you know, that we're not holding on to teachers beyond five years. We're not even holding on to them beyond one. 
quite often. So, you know, this this um, idea of well-being, I think, is is critically important if we want to be able to maintain teachers um, in the long run. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I said earlier, you know, we've got to normalise stepping away for a bit, going back a bit, taking a break, doing part time, going, dropping down to four days, three days, if yeah. we want to maintain the amount of teachers we've got. So I've got a few a few questions for you. How well do you think teachers are trained in this area? Really badly. Um, yeah, I'm not going to sit on the fence. I think that they they're not trained well in this area. I think that. It, that needs to change. It definitely needs to change moving forward. That there needs to be um, a big shift because their teachers are not equipped or do not feel equipped to deal with the issues that are coming up with young people in their schools at the moment. So um, that's definitely got to change. It's got to be mandatory. It's got to be part of teacher training. Um, how they deal with these, just the just the basics. You know, I feel like it's crazy that well-being, you know, is. Um well-being and mental health isn't part of some teacher training that's that's got to be mad that is yeah it's like crazy that it's Mm. not even in there like and i think schools were probably in-house doing doing a fair bit you know my school my last school there there was cpd there was um, a pretty big shift across to to more kind of as part of inset some cpd online work in this area but i think it's got to happen it's got to happen when t- teachers need. I think there's bur- my opinion on this is there is burnout, especially from young teachers now. I think yeah. potentially the older generation of teachers, like the likes of me and you and other teachers out there, they you know they've got the experience, they know how to handle it better. But I think teachers that are coming to the profession now, they 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 don't realise necessarily how difficult the role is. And I mm. think a lot of teachers. I read a really interesting article recently about young teachers. And they, they do that first year, like you said, and yep. they are absolutely shattered. And let's be honest, not brilliantly paid. All right? no. It could be worse, but it could be a lot better. And they're probably seeing friends who've gone on to do other things who, yeah, okay, it's probably still stressful, but you've got to weigh it up, haven't you? You've got to weigh up, like you were saying, the toll that it's taking on you and that work, like the work-life balance it offers you. And I yeah. think it does, you know, teaching is, a, I'm not, you know, I don't want to be too negative because 15, 16 years of my life, I would not, I would definitely I don't regret oh, no, it at teaching all. is a, it. a, a joy and you, you you know I love to teach you know so much so that even stopping teaching I'm still teaching you know I love to teach I love nothing more than it but I do feel that the 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 setup and the system isn't isn't organized very well for us to teach no. um you know we're, we're we're having to do everything and anything on top of just teaching and i think you know, for me as well caroline there in the in this country there is such you mentioned it earlier cult, british culture yeah. versus your daughter going to over to Iceland. yeah there is a huge intense emphasis on academic achievement in this country mm. i've worked in two independent secondary schools um in the south and mm. international students coming from you know eastern europe china all over the world because yeah. the rigor and the perception oh, yeah. is you come to england you get a great education because there's such a huge um leaning towards academic progress okay great you know if you are that way inclined and you're academic and you want to do well in your subjects i'm not saying that's bad you know mm. I, I did i did well at school i was you know i was able to do well in exams i have got two sons that really struggle one particular academically mm. and the english system has failed him to be honest he, he it's not set up for him 
Yeah. And, you know, to find, we found him at this amazing school now. Um, but my goodness, finding that school was so difficult. I mean, it's not, it's not easy out there. And I think this is part of the problem. If there is such a, if the emphasis is so far towards academic achievement, then it can't be enough towards the well-being and happiness of students. I, I'm always, um, I'm a big fan of vocational, do you know what I mean? And having having hands-on kind of vocational, you know, uh, qualifications and having them prioritised the same as, as academic um, qualifications. But I do feel like we intensively do it. Like, do you remember when, yeah, again, doing this work back, back in my day, you can all laugh at me later back in my day, Catalan being 40. But back in my day, do you remember when you kind of looked at it? It used to be like eight GCSEs, didn't it? Mm, yeah. You know, and that was like, that was like intense, like yeah. eight. But now quite often it's like 12, you yeah. know what I mean? Or, or, or sometimes even more. And when you think about that, that's an intensive amount of qualifications, you know, and an intensive amount of exams, you know, and um, getting students through that process. Now, quite often I'm having to, yeah, and I, I've done it for for a few years now with a lot of my friends' kids. Is having to guide the parents through the process of that because it's that intensively pressury for them, not only just the students but their parents and 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 people and their carers. You know, getting them through a GCSE set of exams. It's, it's not um, for the faint-hearted these days. And it's you're like, right, and it's it's square it's square peg round hole, whichever yeah. way you say it. Why should all students be made to do nine, ten, eleven GCSEs? Yeah. My you know my son's school again. It is an incredible school, and it you know it specifically works with um, trauma affected children. So it's very mm. it's very specialised. But what they do, which I love, I think is brilliant for for yeah. anyone. They say, how many GCSEs do you want to do? Which ones do you want to do? So the students there. They can do one, two, four, five, a mix of BTEC, um, none, you know, and brilliant because they're basically creating a bespoke education curriculum on the individual needs, drives and ambitions of those students. I think that's brilliant. I know that's totally bold and that's not going to happen anytime soon. But I do think we've created this monster that is not is not supporting students holistically and personally as well as it could. And I think, you know we and the work we're doing I, this is kind of what my my new passion has become can you there, we just we're losing you slightly oh, so you I'm might want to stay in position oh i'm still here can you hear me <laughs> okay i can hear you now keep I'm going back now um i'll start i'll try and sit totally still i'm getting passionate uh, so i'm starting oh uh, you're getting passionate and moving around keep still jazz keep <laughs> I'll still, <stay> still. Um, <laughs> yeah i would i really want to have an impact in this area from my own experience as a dad as a teacher wow. i think there's more we can do to support the individual needs and ambitions of the young people that we work with rather than uh, making them do the things that I really feel like um I, I'd agree that you know we need a range of GCSEs and I wouldn't want to take them away from them but however I would say that and I, I've tweeted it more than once you know that our curriculum is too cramped you know we could thin that down in each subject there's a lot in each subject to learn it is very it's you know physics is just cramped you know sciences is cramped everything is cramped um, you know, and, and we do, I think, need to have that room, however you can find it, you know, for, um, you know, really, whether you put it in PHSE or personal development for um, well-being and mental health and, and learning to recognise and deal with stress and taking the time for those things, Definitely. you know, and, 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 you know, whether wherever you can find it. But, you know, how do you feel, you know, you've, we've talked a bit about teachers being trained in it. What do you feel the role of a tutor is? You have you 
you've done you must have done tutoring over these years i've done tutoring you know what do you feel like that tutoring role is sometimes i feel like it's crammed in the first 50 minutes of a day and you're kind of just trying to get through all the notices but i do feel like it's a crucial part of this because it's that key person you see in every morning every evening you know that you can really touch base with i think it's so important when i first started teaching it was throwaway for me i was there Mm. to teach pe i had to be a tutor and i hated it i actually hated it and i Mm. think the reason i hated it i was whatever i was 24 25 maybe you know and you're going in Mm. and you've got younger teachers now and they're supposed to you've got to go in as a tutor and you've mm. got to deliver really generally the tutor is the one often delivering PSHE or some of the yeah. some of the most difficult subject areas ever. Mm. Right. You're talking mm. about sexuality and all the and social, like social media, everything, everything. And you, you've barely got life experience. What I found was that I loved being a tutor in my last few years of teaching more, probably more than anything else, because mm. you're right. I think it's one of the most important roles it mm. should. You should be. The, the go-to person for that young person and parent if they're not yeah. sure who else to go to and that is if you're good at that often it's just natural you're you know often people are naturally good with people aren't they and they're good mm. tutors or they're not but yeah I think again there could probably be a real shift in emphasis on how important the tutor is how much time some schools now are definitely devoting more time because I think they're realizing all the things we've been talking about it is vital that students have that time to reflect have that time to break have that time just to stop and often the day is like you said they're so crammed and mm. it's so his five minutes for registration his 10 minutes just to do whatever or 20 minutes for pshe you know my mm-hmm. opinion on this is we need lo- a lot more time to tr- for teachers to be trained in these areas of being a really effective tutor pastoral figure so they can deliver really high quality sessions or just have time in with students to check in with students it doesn't have to be rocket science it doesn't have to be you don't have to be Mm. a clinical psychologist just stop are you okay you know is there anything i can do to support you and and often those are the and just listen and that and those are those are the teachers that that kids remember the ones that Mm. gave them the time they don't often they're not always the ones that are doing the most amazing things necessarily in terms of what they're delivering, but they are mm. just there for the student and the student feels like they are buying into that, them as a person. And that, you know, again, that's, that's for me, that's really important. And that was something I always prided myself in as best I could. It's, it's yeah. but don't get me wrong. It's hard because you've got papers to mark. You've got meetings to go to, you've got a million and one things to do. So sometimes stopping and talking to the child is a hard thing to do, but it's probably, well, it, in my opinion, it is the most important thing you can do. Mm-hmm. I feel like, um, you know, sometimes you're not, how do I describe this? You know, when we talk about taking the time for, for kids to be able to do that, sometimes you might not be the best socially person to talk to kids, or maybe you're not that kind of inclined teacher. You know, um, I, I've always been, you find, I think, sometimes that you get schools that some teachers are better at one particular subject than other teachers, you know, so they end up with all of that one. You know, and I was always the LGBT teacher in my first school. I was I was that teacher. Everybody who had a problem there would come to me. You know, there's no, I think sometimes there's no harm in kind of having key roles in schools for that. You know, whether you've got, 
you know, a key role in, you know, helping with students who are having difficulties in certain areas or be able to set up groups to support students for certain things. You know, there's there's no reason why you can't have, you know, enrichments or extracurricular groups to set up to support, you know, especially big issues like LGBTQ plus, if you say the plus, um, and get the whole acronym in there. Um, you know, and having those groups where students can not only get support, but also support each other, because I think quite often they can feel isolated throughout a school network. Yet. Then, you know, we do that in certain areas like um, uh, LGBTQIA+, but we don't do it in other areas. You know, I, I do wonder what do you think? Do you think we should have more kind of um, student support areas or areas where young people can support each other? Really good question. I think that's growing. I think that student support services in most schools are probably really stretched at the moment. If you're If mm. you've got anyone listening who works in student support or student services or whatever it's called in your school, they're probably yeah. totally stretched at the moment. I've got um, an ex-colleague who she's pretty much the only counsellor at the school mm. I was at, and she is just slammed with, with, with students that are struggling. So I think that, I think that teachers who have a natural, like someone like you, you can tell mm. someone like you likes this, that, you know, those teachers. Yeah, I like that want, bit. Yeah, you like that bit. So the teachers that go pastoral, and like that bit and, and a naturally nurturing and, and a people people person, they should, you know, there should be probably more training and more support for them to go that route. And often, you know, teachers do go that route, don't they? But they if they become ahead of year, for example, then again, they're just they're inundated with so many. But there needs to be more opportunity for one to one support mm. and conversations. And I think schools are probably just stretched so thin. And this is the problem, isn't it? They, they, mm. they don't have the money, the resources. But I think there needs to be a, probably a smarter strategy for each school to know there's enough support, enough pastoral support, nurture support there for every student so that they they don't feel like they're stretched too thin and they don't have the time to do it. I, I think, you know, when teachers come into secondary schools, most schools probably say, which year group would you like to tutor? You know, you often get, mm. there's sick form in that school. You often yeah. get those teachers that like the UCAS. They like talking to sick formers. They prefer talking to the older student. And you get others, the other end, I actually, you know, started off my career. I preferred working with the older students, I think. Mm. Um, I liked the banter. I liked, you know, being able to have, a, you know, more of an adult style conversation. Whereas at my latter end, I really loved working with year seven and eight, seven and eight mm. students. And I was a year seven and eight uh, tutor for my last five to six years. So, mm. yeah, I think that's an interesting part of it. And I think, again, senior leadership... You need to know your teachers, you need to know what their strengths are and don't just plonk them in with a group that they don't want to be with. Do your bet, do your very best to try and match teachers in with tutor groups and year groups that they want to work with. And if they really don't want to be a tutor, well, this is a problem, isn't it? If, you, the, no. if you're going to be secondary, if you're going to be a teacher, you should be want to be i think you should like person. kids shouldn't you you should be <laughs> it helps you know, it? I know. It, helps. it helps if you like kids i mean i'm not saying that it's not but i think it definitely does help if you like kids yeah you know, that's probably going to go a long way because you're going to be working with them enough but you do get a lot of teachers you're right and it's funny you saying it you do get a lot of teachers out there that that, that seem like they don't i mean but they probably yeah. do um but you do get teachers that are just so passionate about their subject Yes. that they may be not so good at that side at actually being a human i think teachers that's something i think is worth me saying is teachers don't be afraid to be slightly vulnerable yes you've got to be professional 
Um, but if you can show students that you're a human being, that you're a person, that you, you know, what your strengths and weaknesses are, you don't have to be good at everything. You don't have to always have a massive guard up. I think the best tutors are the ones that are able to drop their guard, but still remain really professional. And, mm. um, and that's a hard balance. Um, I think that is a hard balance. I mean, uh, uh, going back to, to some of the stats on this, um, you know, the, the education support network, um, one of the things that they they asked was, you know, did you talk about your mental health well-being in school to each other? You know, and, and did you, if you were a staff member, would you speak to somebody? And um, what they said was 44% said that they wouldn't because it would negatively affect the perception of me. So they felt like their colleagues would judge them if they said they had mental health issues. So therefore, they wouldn't talk about it, 44%. So, you know, when you, you say that, I always feel like it sounds really awful. But, you know, I remember, you know, during that very tough year that I described when my husband had a heart attack, I remember going in after two weeks and trying to teach physics. And I remember getting very upset in a GCSE class mainly, for no reason whatsoever, mainly because I just had the shock of my life. Mm. I'd literally just cry and, and then be like, Miss is very upset because she's had a really bad day. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, so what we're going to do is we're just going to carry on teaching, but we're going to accept that maybe I might be upset. Irony mm. upon irony, I got everybody through a side GCSEs. But I've always been a great believer in um, trying not to hide the realities of things from young people. You know, we often try and, you know, shelter them from the realities that people do go through tough times or people do get hard, showing that vulnerability to some extent. I bet, um, they, and I bet those kids that will remember that, and they'll, and they oh would God, have yeah. so, and they would have learned so much from that. And they, you would have the, the relation, the, the relationship you build with the student is so important, and that's part of building that relationship. If you can show them you're a human and you're vulnerable and you're not perfect, then no. that teaches them a really important lesson. And and that's, I think that's really good. Um, I think it's been one of my early years for teaching. Ironically enough, actually, a lot of the students are, are still with that. Those early GCSE classes are still staying in touch with now. And, and one of them had said that to me. It was the first time I'd really realised that actually, you know, it was you, you were having to manage everything along with the rest of us. Um, and, you know, they'd been, that particular class had been ditched by a, um, a, a physics teacher. So I was picking them up late in the day. So it was um, it was it was quite a, a stressful period for all of us, really. And hence why I was kind of like, well, I'll pitch in because, to be honest, they've had a hard enough time as it is. But it is kind of showing the, you know, you, you are a human being alongside mm. being a teacher. Now, that's not to say that you go, you know, aesthetical, although I've had those where I found it just deeply overwhelming, especially as an autistic teacher, you know, where you kind of have some days where it just doesn't work. Um, but I do think, you know, we do we don't um we don't often recognize that those kind of days happen and it's like you know from that report you know for you know as i said it was like what was it 44 percent saying they wouldn't they felt that that would negatively affect the working profession you know that other teachers had perceived them differently and i'm kind of like i don't really care whether other teachers perceive me differently for the simple reason that now we know you know back then i didn't but now in a way i'm you know somewhat bloody different you know <laughs> and it's like yeah like you know be, being autistic and ADHD I'm somewhat different but actually you know I think you know do we give teachers enough room to have that kind of you know those moments where you find it hard every one of us I've found knows a teacher who's cried at some point I think if you've not then I'm not sure whether you've been doing it right you know <laughs> 
and if you kind of like if you've not had a lesson where you've got upset because it didn't go well or observation sometimes it feels like a very emotional profession doesn't it oh it's so emotional I, I come from a long line of teachers my mum's primary my wife's primary my sister-in-law's a secondary English teacher we, we taught my brother's a secondary English teacher yeah. now lecturer we were talking recently about the f- I've quit teaching recently you as a teacher you are on show you are on show in front of the class leading and it is so tiring um yeah. and I think one of the points you've made there we're looking at um in the work that we're doing with schools at ways we can support teachers and interesting that stat there's still that yeah. stigma still that stigma that yeah. if you show that that you I think if when you say mental health I think there's still that stigma right if you so I heard um we met the um founder of calm Michael Acton Smith and he started coining the phrase mental fitness and I think oh, that's, that's quite nice, inter- as a yeah and I think as a PE teacher he, he was saying, and we were having a conversation, it was really interesting, the last 40, 50 years, the physical fitness industry has boomed. It's everywhere. There's all these different types, all over social media, everywhere. Totally accepted. But mental fitness, is there's still, or mental health, there's still a stigma. We all have physical health, and sometimes we're physically ill, and we all have mental health, and sometimes we're mentally not great. And there's no, you know, people should not feel, teachers, anyone out there, should not feel any sort of shame about not feeling great. Something we're looking at is, yes, maybe teachers don't necessarily want senior leadership to know if they're not mm. feeling great, but you all teachers will have a friend in the in the mm. in the staff room that they should feel happy to reach out to. And if they don't, there's a problem in itself. Mm. Um, I just wanted to make one more point quickly, Caroline, if that's okay. I mm. think in my experience, I, I've you know I've gone through real personal struggle. The school I was at where I was really struggling personally, there was two big instances, which I won't say what they were, but the head and the deputy head fully backed me. They just looked mm. me in the eye and said, take the time you need. Take mm. the time you and your wife need. And that was, I'll, ne- I'll never forget it. And, and that was, he was, you know, he had that, that particular head was the most uh, personable, empathic head I've ever mm. worked with. And I'll never forget him. Uh, and, he, you know, he had flaws and he wasn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea. But for me, I would have I would have run through brick walls for him because he he backed me. And I think senior leaders, if they can just show, try and show that empathy to teachers, if they can, you know, if teachers are struggling, if they can start, you know, really showing that value in them, then they're going to they will get that back in spades. Then teachers, they might have a day off for mental health or they might have a day off for the illness. But then if they feel valued, they'll come back in and work their socks off for the school. Yeah, I feel like that's, you know, uh, during the same period, I had an amazing head of science. And honest to God, there's nothing I wouldn't do for her. She's absolutely phenomenal. Same thing. You know, you do have those teachers that just support you in such a way that make you feel it. You know, it's that idea that, you know, if you um, if you're there as, you know, the critical friend and the support to lean upon when needed, then people will go above and beyond for you. You know, absolutely they will. Because uh, it's 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 um, it's I guess it's the same thing we say that we want for our students. It's somebody that will listen to you and take you seriously. You know, we probably want the exact same thing as we'd want you know our students to have as staff. I guess from our leadership, isn't it? Definitely. Uh, um, so I, I want to just before I think I'm gonna. Um, uh, we're going to head to a, a second round of the news because we're just coming up to ten, and then um, I want to talk a little bit before we go on trauma-informed practitioners right i've got 
you can probably break this down a bit more for me. So I'm just going to go to the news. But this time, Jez, I'm not going to mute you. So just stay silent because otherwise I'll lose you. Okay. So I'm just going to play this for you. So you just get a, a quick brief of the news before it. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about trauma-informed practitioners. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I continue with my series on home connection and getting the best performance. The question today is wired or wireless connection, which is best? In the past, the wired connection was considered the fastest and this would be the end of the episode. However, modern wireless speeds are comparable with a wired connection. So what factors affect performance? The first factor to consider is can you actually connect via a wire? Some devices don't have an ethernet or compatible port to have a wired connection. Being hardwired allows a more stable connection. You're not relying on high frequency waves to transmit your data and waves are susceptible to interference in the shape of distance from the transmitter receiver in human language, your hub. Then there are walls, furniture, other devices, basically anything that gets in the way. So the first tip is if possible use a wired connection at home though this is easier said than done you need to be reasonably close to your home hub as this is where the ports are and sometimes that's not a great place to work if you are after a wired connection away from your hub then take a look at using power line adapters these are two plugs that use your existing home electric wiring to create a virtual wired connection to anywhere in the building that has a plug socket they are relatively cheap and some can also be used as wireless extenders allowing you to create a better wi-fi coverage in dark spots in your home at around 30 to 50 pounds it's a relatively cheap and aesthetically pleasing option compared to running cables around your home meshing is the next solution to improve coverage more recently homes have been adopting the mesh system Meshing is linking wireless access points together to extend their range. All have the same sign-in so you can seamlessly move from one to the other with uninterrupted connection. Starting at around £80, it's a more expensive option, but if you only have devices that use Wi-Fi, this might be the answer for you. With most home networks, after bandwidth availability, interference is your next enemy. Always try to place your home hub in the most central place if the telephone sockets allow, otherwise consider power line adapters or meshing. Most modern internet providers give you options to buy these devices from them. This will guarantee it works for your network, but be aware this will come at a higher price tag. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022? Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers 
and be part of our future. And welcome back. So, Jez, you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Excellent. Yes, I can hear you fine. Brilliant. So, I just want to talk a little bit about trauma-informed practitioners. So, I find this particularly hard. If you heard a couple of weeks back ago, if you didn't go back and listen to it, uh, me and Teach Toolkit, Ross McGill, had a long talk about um, childhood sexual abuse because we're both victims. And um, I always find this hard to engage with from my position. But I always... I'm very keen that young people who are um, victims of ACEs or have trauma have equal opportunity to education. Quite often these situations, the school is often the only place that you can get some stability, especially during some very, very difficult times for young people, um, like like me and Ross both described. Um, so, you know, for me, it, it, it's incredibly important that we do have um, inform practitioners in school that can help navigate situations like that and help make sure that young people have those outcomes that are, that are good that can can often you know make or break the recovery in some senses so tell me a bit more about how, what do you think about trauma-informed practitioners do you think they're as critical as I do I think it's vital I mean look, again I'll come at this from my my um, personal experience as a parent I've adopted two boys mm. um you go through an adoption process it, it's so hard much, so hard um, mm-hmm. and you know they they are very affected by the trauma that they've been the specific trauma they've been through i think mm. the, the the concept of trauma now is not necessarily um you know an adopted child or, or a really serious event well a serious event you look at covid we are we've all been yeah. traumatized. we are all traumatized by something right and mm-hmm. and that experience is a hugely traumatic experience for lots of people in lots of different ways. And mm. what we, ha- I think what we have to realise as teachers and educators is every child has experienced some form of trauma and probably now, more so than ever, this really weird world that we're in um, and all these mm. things that have been happening, there is a, a lasting effect of what we've been through, what that trauma is. So really, I think it, it totally it's a good it's a really good way to kind of um finish up what we've been talking about because mm. i think teachers more so than ever if they can if teachers can show some um emotional intelligence and some empathy towards students rather than jumping in and telling off a student for being late or wearing the wrong uniform or you know maybe if they've even done something rude or spoken back to you th- there's always a reason there uh, and as a mm. parent i always have to remind myself of my the challenges I have with my boys they're it's not their fault you know they they've been through so much and Mm. and if I think if teachers can really try and have that at at the top of their priority list moving forward that you know not them their kids are kids and kids can sometimes be rude and naughty possibly for no real reason but if you if you can think about the potential reasons why and again, try and have conversations with those students to best support them rather than jumping in with punishments. You know, I've come, I've taught in a private school with fairly strict, um, mm. strict rules on, mm. on uniform, on, on uh, attitude. And yes, that's important, definitely. But I think we need to have a level of um, possibly fluidity with that on the individual circumstances of the young people that we're working with, because there is going to be a reason there why they might be not at 100%. Uh, and I think if we as teachers now can really model 
um, social and emotional intelligence with our students, then we're going to get the best outcomes that we can get from them. Yeah, I mean, I'm a great believer in quite, quite quite strict guidelines, quite strict expectations. But I do think that, you know, having awareness of young people's circumstances so that you can, you know, accommodate and understand, you know, in certain cases, they will need individual support that are, you know, more trauma informed, especially if they've had, you know, difficult circumstances. And we're going to have a lot of that because we have a lot during COVID. We've, we've missed... You know, we've got lots of young people who've, you know, lost relatives, lost people, are bereaved, are upset, have spent, you know, far too long indoors, have lost those social skills. So it's it's not just, you know, uh, uh, it, as you said, more of the severe end where the, the, you know, there's quite traumatic events gone on that require much more specialised support. Now, I think we are seeing it in in you know lots and lots of students uh, across schools and i think we're going to be more the front line of that are we not um, so yeah, you know where do you feel like some of the best in you know trauma informed information is that you can get you know that's a, a hard one isn't it because it's like such a specialized topic you know you've yeah. kind of got you know everything from you know you know how to deal with you know adoption straight through to you know as we said how to deal with child abuse i mean it's so vast it's like you know it feels like you've got to be a specialist in everything doesn't it really difficult and i think you know most schools have a great senko hopefully mm -hmm. or a really good dsl you know um the DSL at my old school was brilliant uh, and, and really on top of this sort of thing and really wanted everyone on board. Yeah, interesting. I think there's a shift now because you're obviously a specialist in, in this area um, yeah. and you've worked with, you obviously work with, with students with, with um, SEM. Yeah. I think now we've, we've almost got to all go that way and everyone's got to realize because, you know, the number of students now with, with autism or levels of ADHD yeah. is so much more prevalent, isn't it? And mm. it's not just one or two students necessarily in a class now. It's, it's more than that. So, all teachers need to be aware of the, and this is the other thing why it's so difficult for teachers, the, the amount of differentiation and the, 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 the differences in classes is huge, but the best teachers are the ones that are more aware of the individual differences of, of the kids. I think mm. if they, if you're, don't try and be a, spe you can't be a trauma specialist, an autism specialist, uh, you know, you can't do it all, but you, if you are, it's growth mindset, isn't it? It's that classic. Mm. If you are open to learning and improving as a practitioner, as a teacher and educator in those areas and mm. supporting all the students you work with. You know, one of the things I realized as an early PE teacher, I wanted to work with the, the best sports people. I wanted to mm. work, I wanted the first team, I wanted the best players, I wanted to work with the kids in PE that like PE. Mm. And then uh, the, the further I went down, I, I started again, I started probably again from my own personal experiences, I wanted to work I liked turning students that didn't like PE into students that liked being physically active. I didn't care how good mm. they were. And, mm. and I think that if teachers can just be open to working mm. with students of all abilities, and there will be people in your school, there has to be people in your school to reach out to. I mean, there is some really good stuff out there. I um, On LinkedIn recently, there's a uh, an American teacher called Melody Hawkins, and, and this is mm. kind of what inspired it. She wrote this really simple but great piece on how trauma-informed practice made her a better teacher. Mm. Um, and it definitely made me a better teacher. It made me mm. a better teacher because I was more aware of the potential traumas that, that students would be going through. And I think just take notice of any subtle shifts in behaviour with, with the students you're working mm. with. It's not always huge. It's not always them. It's not, you know, it's, not, it's not always physically obvious, is it, that a student is going through something. They might just be a bit quieter or there might mm. just be a subtle shift in their demeanour. 
I think if you're aware and you're curious as well mm. um, in a professional way, I think that's really important. I think getting to, you know, all of this really covers it, rounds up to a nice, you know, this is knowing your kids, isn't it? Definitely. You know, knowing the kids in front of you, you know, you've really got to get to know the young people that are in front of you to be able to, you know, make sure that you can provide everything that they'll need, you know, in that setting to thrive educationally. Because at least it, try, yeah, at least try yeah. to get to know them. You know, it's hard, that's hard as well, isn't it? Because there's probably teachers there thinking, well, I've got X number of classes with mm. Y number of students. How am I supposed to get to know them all? But just have intent, just try. They won't always give mm. you something back and you might go, mm. oh, they're, they're hard work. They never talk to me, but they will they will appreciate the intent you have behind getting to know them more than you realise. Quite often I try and get to know mine just very briefly, you know, throughout the year for just little stupid things, really. I'd, you know, I'd drop off things that were like, what's your favourite TV show at the moment? Or what kinds of things are you into right now? Or what kinds of... Because quite often they wouldn't necessarily talk about themselves, but they're quite happy to have a full-blown discussion with you about, you know, whether or not they were massively into Minecraft. Do you know what I mean? And it and just you get, gives you, you get kind great, of you that... Get great and you get great nuggets out of that, don't you? Yeah. Because, you know, I, the, what the story I always tell through the work I'm, I've been doing is a boy in my tutor group, he just didn't speak to me. He just, I just couldn't, I tried and tried. I'm pretty good with people. I'm, I'm quite a good talker. As you probably yeah. realised I can talk <laughs> to anyone. And he just wouldn't talk to me. But I, re, I found out from a chat with him that he was into go-karting. And I said, I didn't know you did it. He said, I love it. Oh, that's what I do. You know, Because he, he wasn't a sports person at all. He wasn't a footballer. Yeah. So I didn't perceive him as one. And then I realised he was amazing. He could be the next Lewis Hamilton. And then, you know, that was our, that was our in, was like you said. And, yeah. yeah. And we got, you know, then I'd ask him how he got on at the weekend. Did you watch the F1? And it was great. And then the relationship goes from there. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes just having those kind of just little social cultural ins, you know, is, is, is quite, I think, a good way to kind of get students talking. You know, if you if you kind of do that, that involves quite often other teachers laugh at me, but like, what what are you into this week? Why are you kind of like massively into Angry Birds? You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) oh, why have you tried out, you know, playing this game? And but actually, it's just because, you know, my students would be into it. So, you know, sometimes it's it's a good thing to just keep an eye on what kinds of things young people are into, just to open up that conversation. Because it never stays in those conversations, does it? And they you love know, knowing what you're into. In. They love yeah, knowing what yeah. you're into, right? And, you, and again, it's that balance between not going too much into your personal life, but le- letting your guard down enough. You know, I, yeah. one of the best assemblies I ever did was, and I nicked it from another teacher, we played, um, we played songs, random mm. songs, and we, we would say, is this... Mr. Belas's favourite song from his wedding, or is this Mr. Stewart's favourite song from when he graduated university? And they loved yeah. it because they just loved like, oh, you like that music, or you like this, and they just, yeah. yeah. And I think that's really important that side. Uh, yeah, I think it's you know, and that's a, a good one for kind of tutor the roles of tutor when you're getting to know your students. You know, getting to know what kinds of hobbies, what kinds of sports, what kinds of things they're into. You know, you can just open up that conversation, especially if you're seeing them every single morning. You know, and you want that kind of discussion with them. Um, you know, so I think we're about to round up because we're getting to about time. This has been a lovely talk, Jess. So before you go, I normally ask, you know, as we do this first thing on a Sunday morning, which seems like the most awful time for anybody to do a show. But honestly, it's like you get set up and then it's done and then you've got the rest of the day. So what are you going to spend the rest of your Sunday doing today? Well, that's it. There, that's a good question. I've got um, my best man is over. We've kicked. I kicked him out of the house this morning to make sure all the kids are out. But they're over um, visiting, so we're going to go out for some breakfast, I think. Um, and then probably I will spend 
a lot of the day just trying to keep my two Ooh. boys busy um just can you still hear me caroline yeah i can hear you now yeah yeah just stay oh, okay. where you are i'm just i will keep i will keep my boys moving that's what i tend to do every day is a PE lesson so i will keep them moving <laughs> tire them out as much as i can for the day so that they go to bed at half past seven and, and are quiet for the rest of the evening uh, I've got the joys of rock climbing, no doubt, with my little one or my oh, team lovely. now. Oh, she's avid rock climber. That's her go-to sport. So Brilliant. she's just got herself a new harness and a new set of footwear. She had a complete near nervous breakdown at the fact that she couldn't find her shoes, you know, because she thought she'd left them in Iceland. Now she's found them. So, uh, yeah, she'll be um, – we're off, no doubt, to rock climbing at this point to, you know, get up another wall. Um, great sport if you've got young <laughs> girls. Sport. She absolutely great loves sport. it. So, um, But I don't know how she does it. It's Because, like, to be honest, looking at some of the heights she goes these days, is at 15 she's been doing it since she was about i don't know about six seven i was taking up so now you can imagine you know i'm like <gasps> deep breath you know try not to look as if i'm panicked at the sheer scale and height that you are currently <laughs> up at i'm going to pretend i'm okay with this i am okay with this yeah so i think i'll be um i'll be pitching out to rock climbing today what's your favorite sport oh that's such a good question you know i spent I'm football and cricket, but I spent years teaching parkour in schools. I loved it, oh. but I've got to an age where my wife's plate said, you're not, you can't do it anymore. Um, mm. I love snowboarding. I'm a massive snowboarding fan. Um, so that's probably become the number one for me. I love it. Yeah, I, you, know, you love see, it. I, I'm, I'm currently feeling that, you know, post COVID kind of malaise for the simple reason that, you know, my, my sport sport actually is, is jujitsu. I've been, and, I did uh, jujitsu from when so, I was a kid. So do I, Caroline. What about yeah. you? Uh, black in jiu-jitsu are you is that a yeah. jiu-jitsu japanese or brazilian bit of both a brazilian yeah wow, so, oh, yeah. we'll have to roll we'll have to roll sometime we should roll at some point you're, yeah but i don't know whether i'm in shape to roll anymore well you don't, i'm a blue belt you'll destroy me you yeah yeah so i had this um but yeah one of the one of the things my dad took us to when i was a kid he took us to show to karate to start with and then we moved to jiu-jitsu and then we just carried on now it's it's a tradition in our family that all of us do a belt Love it. So my daughter is booking the trend, refusing to do a martial art. All of us are deeply disappointed. Well, but she'll be with her grip she's taken a exactly. Got, so I can hardly complain. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, fine, we'll leave you because you can do grip strength on rock climbing, and that's a good sport. But um, I've got to that age now, you know, because I've hit forty. I've been doing it like I don't know twenty odd years. You know, longer than that since I was about must have been about thirteen when I started. We dad's amazing. Well, you started doing um, jiu-jitsu before it was because it's become so popular, hasn't it? No, oh, now it has. Back yeah. then, it was like nobody was there. It was like, I was the only girl there. <laughs> nobody else there. My dad used to take us. It was a class of about four or five people. Um, and a lot of my friends are all into it. Well, great. So a great we... That's another great sport. And again, another conversation maybe. But I think PE, PE, they should teach everyone how to do some form of grappling. And I think jiu-jitsu yeah. is a, a brilliant form of martial I think it's I a, it. if, you, if you're a woman, it's an essential. Brilliant. You know, I said to my wife, totally mm. agree. Yeah, definitely. But agree. I will say, now I've got to my age, I just couldn't carry on rolling like I used to. Because, mm. you know, if you do it properly, you end up bruised to within an inch of your life. So yeah. now I'm like, I'm going to take it a little easier. Um, and I took up boxing for a while with my with my trainer who also did boxing he was one of the um jiu-jitsu world champions my trainer and um he was like we'll take up boxing cast that's less impactful 
but COVID hit and now I'm like, I'd stopped for like two years. So now I'm so out of shape. I love it how um, Caroline <sighs> taking it easier for you is boxing. That's great. Yeah. Most, people, <laughs> yeah. most people would say go for a dog walk, but taking it easier. No, take it. Well, now I'm like taking it easy and maybe it is go for a dog walk because I'm like, because you were inside all the time. I kind yeah. of tried to keep in shape, but I've got right out of it. So now I've kind of got to go back to back to my trainer and he's just gonna he's gonna look at me and go oh what happened to you and i'm gonna go oh i need to start from scratch again so yeah i think um i think i'll probably go back to boxing i'm gonna start with probably a swimming to get that down and cardio and then go back into boxing well i'm I'm looking forward to talking to you on another episode about the merits of brazilian jiu-jitsu and pe i think oh yes yes i think if you if you honestly if you're a school who could run a jiu-jitsu class run one for women it's really good for self-defense and it just brings out a confidence in young women that you can't describe so you know really consider putting jiu-jitsu on your books personally um and hopefully i'll i'll catch you jez for a role at some point when i'm more in shape (laughs) that'd be great okay thank you for having me on and we'll speak to you all soon and i hope you had a nice time we'll see you in two weeks time this is teachers talk radio and you are listening live is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.